Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Leading Women in Tech here. How the devil are you? I hope you're doing splendid. I'm recording this episode a little bit out because I record my guest interviews a little a while before, but I will tell you, I probably have told you this a couple of episodes ago when I'm doing a single person episode, <laughs> but I have just got back from a week away at my parents um, and I just had a lovely time. It's the first time we've seen them since October because COVID, you know, that splendid friend of ours. So just got home yesterday and just so good to have seen people and oh my God, the hugs. I am so ready for more hugs in my life. I hope you are too. <laughs> Fair warning to you if you ever meet me in person. I am a hugger. I do give you the opportunity to not hug me, but if you if you're a hugger too, just watch out. <laughs> so yeah, I'm ready for the post-COVID hugs already. Anyway, I am delighted to bring on to today's episode the amazing Stacey Sherman. She is all about using customer experience to humanize business. And we're going to be talking about humanizing business, we're also going to be talking about leading more inclusively. Something, as you know, I'm super passionate about. It isn't just about us women getting to the leadership table. It's about lifting other people up as we go along the way. Stacey Sherman is a certified customer experience pioneer and founder of Doing CX Right, helping business leaders apply her, as she puts it, heart and science framework. I love that for a name. To improve customer and employee experiences with maximizing results. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, really, is what she's learned from working in CX and how that makes you a better leader. And I love that synergy between what we do in our jobs and how to turn that into things that make us better leaders. After all, customer experience is all about working with individuals. So why not turn that into the employee side of it too? Stacey's been working at companies of all sizes where she increases loyalty, retention, and overall customer satisfaction through engaged employees, resulting in record-breaking net promoter scores. She's included 6% revenue growth and a $2 billion portfolio protection. She's on a mission to ensure everyone is doing and not just talking about CX so that real human connections and happiness exist. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Stacey. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Oh, I'm delighted that you're able to join us. I'd love to start out with uh, you explaining to the audience a little bit about your personal story, career history, and how you came to work in CX. Yes. So I literally fell into CX. <laughs> I was always in sales and marketing and then digital marketing when uh, Google was born <laughs> and in other technology companies. And so it really, my, the evolution of where I began to now really isn't that different. It's the practice that's different. The framework is different. In the beginning, back when I was in college, there was marketing and there was the study of human behavior. 
and consumer behavior and mental mindsets. And that hasn't changed. It's just that the approach is so much more sophisticated thanks to technology and measurements and and what I like to call the the intention of humanizing business while we leverage technology. So um, that's a lot to say, but basically worked in a lot of different corporations, different industries, and I'm passionate about how we can, while we're driving profit, because that's what business is about, really including and driving people to be happy and satisfied in their work and as customers. So you talk there about humanizing, humanizing the business. I've heard you talk before about humanizing brands. What does that mean to you? What do you what do you mean when you're talking about that with other people? So so much of business corporate is about process, structure, and a very inside view, developing products and services and market messaging from the inside. And so humanizing business has two meanings to me. One is understanding the humans outside of the business who you're serving, understanding their needs, their feelings, the sentiments, the pain points that they have to form your business decisions. And likewise, the inside, how leaders have the chance to really make their employees feel valued, included, and appreciated. And so that's what humanizing business is. And it's an intention and there's a real framework for it. Mm. I love that you you talk about that because I was going to come to you next. Like when we talk about humanizing business, uh, and it's the same with inclusion, which I know we're going to get to in a few minutes. <laughs> we're not staying away from that topic today. Um, a lot of the time when we talk about humanizing business, though, people think that that is at the cost of profit. And you talked at the beginning about profit and humanization, right? But actually, from what you just said, which is why I want to ask you about it, they aren't mutually exclusive. Can you share a little bit about how when we humanize a business, we actually are doing a good thing for the business potentially as well? Absolutely. And and let's just talk about human nature and getting the basics right, right, before we even talk real sophisticated um, methods. And that is when you have a team and you personalize communications You really understand each person, what they need, what moves them, understand their why, as Simon Sinek teaches. Then they naturally pay it forward. The customer sees and feels it too. And the outcome is loyalty. The outcome is trust. And you need both for people to come back, buy again stay with you instead of the competitors. And that's both employees and customers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, as you're saying that, um, I also, I know we're going to come on to later in the moment. Maybe we should go there straight away because uh, one of the reasons I was so intrigued by what you do is the overlap between doing that for customer success, which has a business bottom line and all those benefits. And actually what those skills, tools, and techniques tell you about your fellow 
workers, about your colleagues, about the people you manage, and how, as you put it, the loyalty you get from humanizing what you do in the workplace and all, all of the good stuff that comes from basically treating people like humans. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about that and, and the overlap between what you do in customer success and your passion for inclusive leadership. Yes. So first of all, we have to remember two things. We are all creating experiences. People buy because of the experience and the feeling they had from an experience. It's why Disney is Disney. It's why Starbucks, people pay triple the price because it's an experience. It's not just the product alone, although obviously you have to like the product or service. But when all else is equal and one is a higher price, people are going to shop and choose sometimes the higher price because of the way they feel, the way they're treated before they even walked in the door, (laughs) right? And, And that same with employees and the hiring process and the onboarding process. So they go hand in hand. So leadership and inclusive leadership, I mean, that's really, I think, what's new the inclusive leadership as an intention, as a not an afterthought. That's what's new. The intention also of having diverse work teams, diversity of thought, that is growing in importance. And I love that. And so as a leader, there's no there's no real um, grading system. There's no real when you're hiring leaders, they're not specifically asking about this, your view and how you lead with diversity and inclusion at the forefront. Maybe it will become more of that HR hiring process. I think that'd be a good idea. Same way as asking, give me examples of how you delight customers and what customer experience means to you. I think that belongs in the hiring process. With that said, I believe that we all individually own diversity and inclusion and same with CX, customer experience. We all own it. Not one person, not one department. And so there's the top down, which is the culture, but there's the bottom up. And that's how a movement happens, never mind globally, but even within a company. So. I highly recommend everyone listening to reflect on this and know that you can make that change, be that inclusive leader, and you don't need leader in your job title to be one. Mm, Absolutely. I wish more people understood that. We're leaders. You can be leaders in every aspect of your life. Like It doesn't have to be a job title. And I work a lot with emerging leaders who are trying to figure out how to land their first leadership role. And I'm like, you land that by leading right now. And I love the fact that you brought in like inclusive leadership right at the beginning, because actually if we can change the nature of leadership right now to be more inclusive from day one, that's just going to be beautiful, right? Can you imagine a whole generation of 20 something year olds where inclusion is just part of part of what they do they don't think about it it is just I mean they do think about it because you need to but it is not something that they've had to like 
convince their brains to be working on every day or that's an important part of the job description. It is just a given in the same way that answering your emails is a given. Can you imagine that world if we actually get there? I think we we are and we will because will even more because I listened to my daughter talk about their sororities at school and there's actual board positions for diversity inclusion leaders. Oh wow, I didn't know that. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. So I'm getting a preview of what's happening with the Gen Z and more places even starting younger to embrace the change and the culture that we're at our ages trying to bring, but the next generation is going to drive it even faster. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's circle back a little bit to talk about you and your career and what that's taught you. Because in the conversation that we had before we were recording, you told me that you've never had a formal mentor. Do you think this has ever helped you, hindered you? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Can you see a silver lining in no formal mentor? I love this question. So a caveat here is I never had a mentor until my current job. And what's wonderful about it is that there is, because I work in a very male organization industry, male-dominated industry, they, the company decided, it's a global company, and decided to create a women leaders program. And so I was the second graduating class. It was a 10-month program. And that's the first time I was formally given a mentor and loved every minute of it. And now I get to pay it forward as being in the graduating class, now a mentor in the program and also a coach to people who don't report to me, as well as obviously the people in my direct reports. So I think it's very important. I think that people must not wait to be asked. Mm, yes. I think that if I could do it life over again in my younger years, I would have gone to someone who I really respected and asked them to mentor me. But it is a two-way street. It's not just one directional. And it takes two to tango. It takes two mm -hmm. for, for this. So yes, everyone needs a mentor. I want to talk about that one a little bit more, especially you say two tango in both directions, because I want to talk about the two directions. So first of all, I want to talk about what you wish had been done differently if you were where you were like 20 years ago. What would you have done differently in order to get yourself a mentor instead of waiting for Wonderland? Because most companies are not big enough to have these big formal programs. That's still relatively unusual. Informal mentorship is the dominant form of mentorship. Don't get me wrong, I know a lot of people come to me for coaching. <laughs> that's becoming more accepted. That's, I think that's amazing. But most people don't get access to that stuff, especially early on. So what can people do or what do you wish you had done to get that mentor earlier? A couple of things. One, I'll start with, I needed to take responsibility to ask. I needed to surround myself around people that were supportive and 
you choose, you know, choose who you spend time with, right? That's always important, whether it's friends or colleagues or where you work, be, be in the right room. I, now, besides my own responsibility, I would say that we need more leaders, especially women, supporting each other. And that has not always been the case. I hate saying that out loud, but it's the truth. And I've had many, many male bosses whom I liked better than female bosses. And over my lifetime, not talking about one particular job, but I think that women over time had to work so much harder to prove that they're tough and as strong as men. And with that, it actually hurt in the process. And I'd love to be a place where, where there's just leaders. There's not men leaders, women leaders, right? Forget about the pronouns, just leaders. That's where yeah. I'd love us to get to. I cannot wait for the day. I, when I get really depressed, I <laughs> think to myself, not that I ever get really depressed, I'm an optimist, but I sort of think to myself, are we ever going to get there in my lifetime? But I'm the same. Like a day when our, our pronouns are not important, whatever it is, our gender, our ethnicity, our country of origin, all of that sort of stuff is just irrelevant. And we are just a leader or we're just an engineer. We're not the the woman engineer. We're not the first of anything. You know, I I do think we do need to celebrate that on the way because we need to recognize how tough this is. But I cannot wait for that day when it doesn't matter what you are because those definitions are so artificial anyway, right? <laughs> anyway, I'm totally there with you on that one. Um, You said there about being in the room, and I think that's something a lot of us struggle with, especially early on. And even actually, I have clients who are executives who they've learned how to be in the room in certain situations. And I have to point out to them that they're not in the room in some other situations and that they're resisting that. So what is it about being in the room that's so important, especially if you're surrounded by people that aren't like you, you know, talking as a woman in tech, (laughs) What, like, how can you deal with that? And what does it mean to really be in the room? Is it sufficient to just turn up to meetings, for example? Well, I do believe showing up is important at small meetings and big meetings, because by showing up, even if you say one sentence, that's it, you are creating a perception and trust, a thought leadership. And by doing that, and continuing to do it very, very in a smart way, people will then recognize you belong in the room where the decision-making is happening. Now, that takes time. That takes trust. That takes relationship building. Mm. When you're not invited to the room, and that happens a lot, especially in corporations, you have to then decide, Will you get to the room? Do you have the right supporters? If you don't, are you okay with that? If you're not, leave the room, leave the building, leave the company and go be where you can be supported. Because there's plenty of companies that will support you and that's where you belong. So 
be truthful to yourself. Not everybody wants to be at a certain uh, level in an organization. So know, know what's important to you and then go after it. Don't wait on the sidelines. I think that's the big one is a lot of us have thought that if we excel technically, if we just do a great job, we make sure our team always delivers, somebody's going to pick us out of the lineup. And we all get to a point when we realize that's not the case. And there's a part to be played there by the senior leader, which I'm going to come to, because I know you're passionate about us being better allies. And that's really what I want to get to today. But there's also a case for us, we have to stick our hands up at some point, right? We have to say, I am amazing. And part of that showing up is at the meetings and saying something is, not being quiet and standing at the sidelines and expecting to get noticed and picked out the lineup. These people are busy people. They're not mind readers. (laughs) And in fact, one of the traps I see so many of us walking into, and I'd love to see if you've seen this happen as well, is we do such a good job because we're so focused on excelling because we think that's what's going to get us ahead. We do such a good job that we're not getting noticed because we're not a problem. (laughs) and we're like the thing that's a well-oiled machine it just works beautifully our bosses have so many other things that aren't working beautifully that it actually backfires and we get less attention than we totally deserve and our bosses would be horrified if they knew that was actually what they were doing but uh, this does happen do you see that happening has that ever happened to you absolutely and so I can't change the world (laughs) But I can change the way I lead and also share best practices with other leaders, which is part of a customer experience job, is when we hear from customers talk about a, any individual, any employee that did a really good job, we don't just let it go. We, we celebrate that person. We make a big deal. I'll give it to that person's boss and say, look how wonderful that this individual is delivering customer excellence, even when you, the boss, aren't looking. And so we cannot stop appreciation. It doesn't stop on the weekends either. You'll often see me on the LinkedIn. I'll say, it's Saturday, but I still need to say thank you to so-and-so in the company for doing X, Y, Z. So that's Mm. easy. That's not hard. It's a low level of effort, as I say, in the CX world. That is so important, male, female person to do. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about this. How can we be better allies to other women and other underrepresented groups? Like, you know, the tech industry is white male. There are many underrepresented groups, not just us women. What is it that we need to be doing differently, especially you and I have both experienced having a female boss who was less helpful to us, (laughs) multiple female bosses potentially, who are less helpful to us than um, actually their male peers. What is it that we need to be doing differently as somebody who is already underrepresented, right? And everybody thinks that if you're a woman, you know how to immediately support other women or other underrepresented groups. Let's talk about this. What do we need to be doing differently or better? So I think, again, back to level of control. I can't control what others are doing. I can't control how busy everyone is. 
I or any of us are not the end all in the boss's mind. They're so busy. So I, I really recommend that you speak up for what you want. It doesn't mean you're going to get it. But I just did this recently. I said, I'd love to be included at a certain meeting. I can even just be in the back of the room, but just to be there, to hear what's going on firsthand. Because I touch so many different organizations, it really helps me to be there. So if I didn't say that, the person may never know. They may not be thinking about it, not not because it's personal, but just everybody's so busy. So I recommend everyone to ask for what you want. Ask for what's important to you and understand that there will be no. Sometimes maybe it's personal. Most of the time it's not. But we have to advocate for ourselves, but you have to do it in a very professional way. So to be a better ally for other women and minority groups, I recommend people. First, put yourself in the other people's shoes mentally and step back and, and, and try to understand where they're coming from. Use it as an opportunity to learn because there's so much we don't know. Mm. And have the uncomfortable conversations. Create a space where it's safe if you're a leader that your team can come to you and say, I don't understand or I'd like to learn, or what does that mean? And so safety, mental and physical, is really, really important. And I also think that there, there's an opportunity to call each other out, not in a public setting. But if something, if I do something to upset you, and I don't realize, I don't see something, I don't hear something, certainly not personal, that we each have an opportunity to go to that person and say, I want you to be aware. And when it's done very tactfully, it can be life-changing. And so I believe that we need to speak up for each other, to each other. We all have something to learn from each other. And so that's how I lead And if somebody else is not leading that way, I will take the opportunity to call out in a private way and say, here's what I see. Mm, I love that you said that. And I think the whole thing with safety there, like this is where because of who we are, because we're often one of only a handful of women in the room, this is actually easier for us. And I, I, you know, use one of the things that's easier for us if we can, right, as women, there's so much against us. But creating psychological safety for other people is easier simply because somebody looking at us sees somebody else who's underrepresented. Now, it doesn't get you the whole way there, right? If you're a white woman like I am and you're talking to somebody black, it, there, there is an additional level of psychological safety that they need. But we, we've we all experienced talking to another woman. You can talk to a complete stranger about, uh, I'm sure all of us have done this at some point, 
about feeling uncomfortable around a man, it's a lot harder to do that to a strange man, right? To talk about being uncomfortable around men. So we use the fact that we create some implicit psychological safety to help our colleagues have these conversations. You then have to follow through on that, of course. And I do want to emphasize that to the listeners. It's just because you can create that easier doesn't mean you should ever abuse it. I hope nobody listened to this would ever do that. <laughs> but I just, I wanted to add on to that because I think that's a really powerful thing that is one of the few benefits of being the only woman in the room. Actually, we can make this easier for the person in front of us. But let's just talk a little bit more about the challenging biases there. And particularly like the the things that are barriers to us that we're not seeing as women, especially if we've got to a senior leadership role. And I remember when we were talking before, you talked about remembering that there's room at the top. What does that mean to you and why is that so important? Very important. There's plenty of room at the top. And that's important because various women in my career, I I believe didn't really embrace that thought. And so they're so it drives behavior. When you really believe that there's plenty of room for all of us at the top, then you are lifting others. You're supporting others. Yes. But the contrary happens if you don't believe that. And so then you're acting more in a competitive way. And that's a recipe for disaster as a leader of an organization. Your job is to lift others, is to elevate others. So if it starts with your own thinking that drives your own behavior. Yeah, so this is great because I actually wanted to ask you about the mindset around that shift to accept that there's space at the top because I think many of us struggle with that. It has been so hard for us to get to the top that we might logically be like, yeah, I'm okay with other people, but some part of our mind is saying, no, there's not space because it was so hard for me to get here. So that's why I want to ask you about in our leadership mindset moment. So in case you're new to the podcast, every episode at the end of each episode, I love to give you, my listeners, a simple mindset tip to help you adjust how you act and think on the topic of today's podcast. And so this is why I really want to talk about that mindset shift that we all need to make from, yes, it was hard for me to get to this senior leadership position, but that doesn't mean there isn't plenty of room for other women at the top alongside me. What is it that we need to be doing to accept this? Because I think many of us have struggled with this. We want to lift others up. And there's some little part in our brain that says, but what does that mean for me and my career? Have you got any advice for the listeners on this one? Yes. If you are an executive, especially, you set the culture. So if you create the culture of where there's truly a career path and people feel that there's a des- a, there's a there's a journey is the word then you will not only retain people but you will have leaders who do support and lift others because they don't feel threatened they feel supported they have a future they feel their their that path is if they have a path, they want to give others a path. So again, it's doing the basics right, which many organizations don't do. I love that because I think a lot of the time we don't realize that we have a choice here, right? 
We think that we have to go along with what's happened. We know we have choices, but at the same time with the things that we're not explicitly focusing on, we sometimes feel that we don't have the choice and you're spot on. If you're at the top, you don't have to be the CEO. You don't even have to be C-suite. But if you're leading, even just a small team, you can set the culture. You can decide how people are rewarded. And I just simply pointing out to your brain that is saying, hey, 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 what about me? (laughs) Wait, hold on. I get to choose the culture here. I have control over what happens to me because I can choose the culture. I think telling our brains that is a really important thing whenever it's having that not very helpful conversation in our heads. (laughs) Um, Have you any final thoughts you would love to share with the listeners today? Yes. I would say to build your own confidence. Confidence is really affects how we show up and who you spend time with will affect your ability to show up confidently. So find your mentor, find your, I don't know if tribe is a, is, is a controversy, controversy word right now with diversity inclusion um, topics. But if it's not tribe, find your, your, your people and surround yourself around supportive people because that's where you will advocate not just for yourself and your views in a very tactful way, but then you can also support others and empower others. And then that's when you know change agents rise and this movement continues in a good direction for ourselves, our children, and the next generations. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Yes, I'd love that. I have a website, doingcxright.com. And all my social media links are on my site. I'm on every platform. And I'm very happy to connect with people on all the above and more. Awesome. I will make sure that those are in the show notes for listeners so they can find you nice and easily. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation. I hope you've had as much fun as I have, and I'm sure the listeners are going to learn an awful lot from this. Thank you so much. Isn't Stacy an inspiration? I love talking about how our jobs can help us also lead better and her experience in customer experience, CX can help you be a better leader and also talking about how our blind spots as women sometimes stop us being so good at being more inclusive with others and what we need to do to counter that. I think this is a topic that we need to talk more of as a society if we really change things. We've all seen the queen bee leader. Many of us have experienced it firsthand and the only way we're actually going to tackle that is by tackling our own mindsets. I'm pretty sure it's never intentional until you've been doing it for 10 years and then you realize you're doing it and it is working for you in some way. Although working is always a matter of opinion. But anyway, I love talking about this and what we all need to be doing a little bit differently and the mindset shifts we need to be doing around it. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode and you want to go and follow Stacey, find out about her work in leadership and of course, as a customer experience pioneer, go and check her out at doingcxright.com. The link is in the show notes, which you can find in your favorite podcast player. 
Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.